Hello, hello. Welcome back to the CTO studio. I, of course, am your host, Nikolai Walker, on the mic and in your ear, my favorite place to be. We are joined today in studio with uh, Mitesh Karya, who is the CTO and Chief Data Officer at The Zebra. And I'm going to have Etienne take over this and just kind of lead into it. But today we're going to be talking about when and why and how to start the compliance process. Etienne, if you would, please do the honors. Okay, so when you started with the security, privacy, compliance uh, process, was that, was that, that you said that was around 2019? Was that specifically driven by business or was it driven by, were you informing yourself? Were you learning about things? Were you, was there an unease that you developed when you maybe saw how someone was copying a root password and slacking it to someone? I mean, that unease never goes away, right? That was always there. So that, that was part of it. Part of it was that, you know, in previous years, We'd have, you know, our, our business development, our commercial org kind of reach out and say, hey, they want us, you know, this carrier wants us to agree to this, 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 this. And I would go and say, nope, 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 nope. We're not going to agree to any of those things, right? But we finally got to a point where they're like, okay, great. We, we can't anymore, right? Like that worked and they, they were able to, given our size and stage and where we were, but now the carriers were going after the, the size we were. We can no longer say no or talk our way out of it. We need to. So then I said, okay, great. We need to do this. Then let's go figure out what that means. I don't want to just kind of, you know, placate them or, you know, you know, throw empty words on there and say, yes, we do. When, when we don't, I want to figure out what it means to, to do this. And I was, you know, worried because while I've been in tech for my entire life and been around security and privacy, that was never my primary focus, right? That was never my profession. I, you know, I, I was never a, a chief security officer, CISO. I was never an infosec professional. And so I, you know, I reached out around and that's where I, I actually, we, we brought on a, a virtual CISO, um, Seth Robertson, who's, uh, who's part of the seven CTOs community to, to help us kind of build that program and navigate these waters where I, I had, you know, on one side, business and moving quickly. And then I had, you know, security and experience here. And then my job became to understand both and find that con that middle ground that allowed us to do the right things from a security and privacy standpoint, build that program, you know, understand our risk and, and be thoughtful and protect ourselves, but also move quickly. Um, but it was absolutely scary, right? Where when it comes down to it, I was making decisions on things on, on, you know, on how we build our program, not without support, but I, I was the, you know, the, the main person making these decisions in an area where like, I'm not the expert. So on that point, uh, the, I have a couple of questions. So in the thick of all of this, when you started with the compliance stuff and regulatory and SOC 2, um, how much of your time would you say in a given month, maybe, were you spending on this? Is it less than 50%, hopefully? Uh, early on, I mean, the, the very beginning, getting things going, I'd say it probably was about 50% of my time, 
right? But that that's getting, you know, finding a, a virtual CISO. There was a lot of education about our business. There was a lot of, you know, reviewing of plans. And as things got going, um, I want to say I was probably spending 10 hours a week. So about a quarter of my, my time, right? Um, and so it, it stayed at that level for a while um, until we got larger and started to grow out some of the roles around it. We brought on some, you know, uh, someone who's going to focus a little bit on DevSecOps. We started to, you know, we brought on a, a director of compliance. We, you know, we started to, to build some pieces around there and a team, at which point, you know, my role stepped back a little bit further to now being more of a stakeholder, uh, you know, participating in steering committees and things like that, but less less actively involved in pushing the day to day forward. So your um, just so I can learn from this, your director of compliance typically does what? So the director of compliance, um, she's kind of focused. She came in originally com- focused on both security and privacy compliance, but compliance expands beyond that. Right. And, and so her compliance, she focused also on some of our agency and licensing compliance, um, compliance with, you know, federal statutes. And then, you know, in the future, it can expand also to include financial compliance. Right. It's it's a pretty broad term. And it's one of those orgs that in general, you want it to be somewhat independent. Right. It's a governance org. Right. You want there to be some friction. You want it to. To, to have a little bit of that push and pull with, you know, the, the, the rest of the business um, so that it you can't just say, you know, wave away and say like, yeah, yeah, that's great. We're not going to do this, right? Like there needs to be a little bit of that. Yeah. For instance, I want to upgrade my new Relic plan. Uh, they want me to sign this five-page contract. It's going off to the director of compliance to sign off on it. And then you do that. Yeah, exactly. Right. Who's going to do a legal review? Exactly that. Right. And so there's legal compliance, too. And so that's what, um, you know, so there's compliance is a like parallel or to or to infosec to security and to to privacy. It's it's it, it is necessary to have both of them. But it's not a replacement for security or privacy. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is how Zebra raised $150 million and became Austin's newest unicorn. See what I did there? It is. And, and there, I mean, there, there are tools and, and, you know, people out there, uh, you know, w- one of the tools that we've invested in recently, and, and we started out and we have been for a while, is Nobe4, K-N-O-W-B-E-4. And so we started using them for some of our security awareness training, for our you know privacy training. Um, but then they also have a compliance manager, which allows you to upload a lot of your programs, you know, and your controls into there. And then you know you can track compliance against them. It lets you put your your questionnaires that you're talking about, the you know that all of us get to answer, put them in there. So that people, you know, other par- third parties can answer their questions, or you track them right there, aligned with everything. And so, you know, we started as we started to grow and the 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 team and the the program. We also started finding and investing in some of these tools. All 
on uh, just to wrap up that the compliance stuff. Um, so how about insurance? Insurances, cyber insurance and all that stuff. How, how did you manage that? So that's always been, um, you know, we've had a lot of that from day one. And so that uh, didn't really fall under my umbrella. It fell under our EVP of finance and admin, because that was something that um, even before we, you know, kind of really put together an InfoSec program, a formalized InfoSec compliance and security program, that was something that we needed to do. So I, I was involved in it, right? That there's a, in order to get cyber insurance and ENO insurance, all this stuff, you have to fill out a big questionnaire. And a big chunk of that questionnaire is around security privacy practices. So I was always involved in that. And we worked with, you know, third-party firms as brokers to help get us that, um, that coverage. Um, but it, I wasn't the one driving it. And so, uh, and so I was, you know, I was involved, but not driving it. Yeah. I think probably if I'm just going to guess that if you weren't, if someone wasn't driving it, you'd, you'd probably at some point would have said, Hey, you know, there's, there's some risk here and, you know, there's only so much we can do. What is our, what is the backdoor protection to some sort of breach? Absolutely. And, and our program that we put together did inform our renewal the next year, right? Which is, we were now able to answer questions differently, but it also helped us understand what things we should now go and, and pay attention to, to make sure they are covered. Do we have appropriate levels of coverage in different areas based on what our program is, you know, what risks we're, we're covering with our security and privacy program? What else do we need? Right. And so it helped in, inform it, but yeah, you're, you're right. Like that would have come up right away because one of the things that is in a lot of these, you know, contracts and security addendums is that, you know, as a partner, you will carry the, the appropriate level of cybersecurity insurance, right? That That's just something now that's becoming more and more standard, which is a little bit of CYA, um, but, you know, just kind of helping ensure that the burden isn't only on one person in the, in the entire ecosystem, that everyone's kind of doing their part. Yeah. Um, is, is securing that insurance, uh, ha- have you seen that be a requirement from your larger partners? And Yeah, and usually, usually they'll actually have, uh, depending on it, they'll have certain levels that, you know, you, you have to have. And we actually, like certain amounts of coverage and, and things like that. And we actually took that approach as well, which is so w- one of the things we did in these questionnaires and, and the third-party risk assessment is we initially, so we started and we said, great, here, here are all the things we could ask, right, to understand risk. And let's pare that down. And so to to the ones that we thought were the most critical and impactful to the company. And we did, um, but even those were still somewhat like onerous and burdensome. And so after that was in practice for a little while, we took a second look at it and said, okay, how how can we still satisfy the needs, but pare that down even more? And part of it was, okay, let's push some of the onus of this onto the partners as opposed to onto us. So we wrote up a standard security addendum, which, you know, is nothing extravagant. It actually covers most of the best practices. It's only like 10 items or so um, and nothing that is controversial. Like, you know, it's all things like, great, we'll have antivirus and endpoints. You'll do some, you know, annual pen testing. It's just some very standard things that are best recommended best practices. 
but we add that to all of our contracts, right? And so right there with that, we're pushing some of that burden onto our, you know, onto our partners to help balance not having to be quite so exhaustive in asking about it. Mm. Is it is it something where you can almost say, hey, right-click, save as from our website? Uh, I mean, yeah, almost, right? Like it, we, we have a, a standard... We have a standard security addendum. We, I mean, we, we don't do that mostly because there is sensitive information that can be in the SOC 2 and, and some of these security documents. So a lot of times we'll want to sign an NDA, um, right? And a lot, of, a lot of carriers actually do that because the best security documents actually give you a little bit of insight into what's under the covers, but that's stuff that you don't want getting into the wrong hands. Um, and so, but the, the actual security addendum itself is just a standard template that we work with our, you know, our council to create that just gets added to every single contract. And are there certain certifications or compliance regulations that you require that you, you as the zebra have decided before we do business, we want to see A, B, or C? We don't require anything, but we do. Um, you know, ask for people, for the people's SOC 2. That's becoming the de facto, right? Which is, um, you know, can you send us your, your SOC 2 report? Um, and, and so in absence of that, we'll ask them a little bit more, you know, exhaustive questionnaire to understand their program and evaluate it. But we don't make anything strictly a requirement uh, along those same lines as our, our goal is not to, our, our goal is to help the, enable the business to, move forward quickly but safely and our so our goal is never to say no but it's to say yes and here's how or yes but here's the risk you know uh, and so so we never wanted to say we will like draw a line in the sand saying we will only ever do this because at the end of the day it always depends it, it depends on you know the, the scope of what we're using it for how many people how long it's going to be out there um you know maybe their security is adequate for the service they're providing. Yeah. No, I, I like that perspective. And I spoke, one of my conversations with uh, an insurance broker in this space was, it's really a game of where the risk or where the liability lands. And all the actors in that, um, you know, if you have your insurance, you have your compliance, the risk moves or the liability moves from you you know, downstream or parallel, but that you really want to get out of the way of where the liability lands. 